insight, banter, and comedy? It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. And if you have listened to a number of podcasts here on Enthusiasts, hopefully you've heard to a number of the uh, uh, Hero Talk episodes. And if you have, you've heard me and Judge Greg and others talk about how rating numbers are stupid. And really, in video games, they're all over the place. They're in, you know... What is it? Game Pro scores? Game Pro's not around anymore. Holy cow, did I just date myself? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is the first wow. game magazine I could think of, but in any case, as you might have already guessed, with me today is Judge Greg. To, uh... How's it going? <laughs> Didn't mean to jump the gun on that, but holy <laughs> cow, you dropped Game Pro in the first five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well... Game Informer does Game Informer. I, I don't even read much Game of the. Game Informer uh, is still a th- yeah, I it's think. still a thing. But you know, there's a lot of places that have you know ratings out of. In fact, you know what is it? Jim Sterling had an episode of the Jimquisition called Hate Out of Ten. There's yeah. a, a a TV trope something like eight point eight eight point hate something or other that's like people were so upset that uh, Legend of Zelda game uh, uh, got a. Uh, a, a score lower than they thought it should have gotten, even though they couldn't know one way or the other because the game wasn't released yet. And uh, I'll just start with some of my very basic thoughts on the topic is that ratings are dumb, but of 10 ratings are completely fucking stupid. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because there was one point where I thought to myself... Well, if I was going to make an of 10 rating system, how could I divide it so that each rating kind of had some significance and value so that, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, you know, five or six below that is just garbage. You know, you'd think like three might be a game where it's like it's flawed, but it might have some perks that you might be interested in looking at. No, when I tried to lay it out, it was completely stupid. And that's because... When you have a decimal-based and of-10-based rating system, it will inherently bring about comparisons to your standard percentage scoring. Your, your, you know, 90 and up is A, uh, 80 and up is B, and that's what everyone is going to interpret. So basically, you know, below uh, 60%, below 50% is all garbage. So you know what you're actually working with? Like a four-star system. Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's just like I mean, movies. It's, it's not like it's not like you're gonna rate a game of forty and be like, yeah, it was kind of fun. Like, no, forty <laughs> is basically garbage. Yeah, anything less than sixty is garbage. Nobody will buy it. Pretty much, and it's not like you know. I I don't know about you, but I've gone on Netflix in some point. And it's like I want to see a terrible movie, and I'm gonna look for the lowest star yes. rating I can find on Netflix to see the worst piece of crap I can find. Yep. Yep, that's that's how I came to find a movie called Zombievers. Uh I have seen this movie. This is yes, I, <laughs> yeah. We, so we did not set that up ahead of time, and I think we're mutually ashamed of having seen this. Yeah, that will not be a hero <laughs> talk. <laughs> oh, so what brought you to the conclusion that rating systems are stupid? I mean, well, I know I, I know I, you're thinking of it, but what kind of brought you to that uh, to the conclusion yourself? 
Well, okay. I I would love to like take credit for you know having thought of it in the first place. Um, but truth be told, I think I read an article about it one time, and it just it made a lot of sense. Mm. And and the article went into a lot of detail in terms of like, all right, so let's say you have a a game that's nine point five, and a game that's nine point three, and a game that's nine point one. What is the actual difference between those games in terms of quality? Like, what is a point two gaming score unit's quality worth? <laughs> and and how how do you really interpret that? And and, and, you know, as you're thinking about it, you're like, I, I don't know what that even means. And then, like, so some people, like, well, then they just do, like, 9.5, 10, you know, 8, they only do the point fives. But then, again, you're like, all right, so what functionally to a reader or a listener or a watcher is the difference between a 9 and a 9.5? What is half the gaming scores unit in, in some kind of measurable quality factor? Because the, the point is, and as much as people want to complain about that, how they want objective video game reviews, they don't exist. No, there's no such thing. Well, it's a measure of taste. Yeah. So so really what you want is I want to have a person whose taste closely aligns with my own. And then to have that person say, here's the things that were good. Here's the things that were bad. I recommend it. I don't recommend it. I think it's worth a look. I think it's worth a rent. That's really what you want. Right. Like this number system Especially like with Metacritic, with they took a bunch of ratings from people who I've never heard of or never would have trusted, and it's you know, and and I feel like people who review video games find themselves pigeonholed and feel like they have to use these systems because people want the rating, and I don't think they're necessary, and I don't think they add anything, and so you have like people whose opinions I really truly respect, and they'll give this well thought out long dissertation on the game and the mechanics within the game and what they thought of it. And then at the end, they got to be like, all right, well, now I have to assign it some number out of 10 so that somebody knows whether or not I liked it or not. I'm like, you don't have to do that. You just were talking about it. Hmm. But they have to. And I'm not I don't blame the reviewer. I kind of blame this expectation system of, well, I need to know what grade score number you gave it so that, you know, I know whether or not I should like it or not. Like, well, well, you should I, already. Yeah, th- there's already a business side to it too. You know, you talk about Metacritic. There are some game deals. I don't. I've never been in one. I don't know how common it is, and I don't know if it still exists. I haven't read about it in in a bit, but I know there have been game deals struck where part of the payment is based on performance with Metacritic scores. Yeah, like the publisher says too. we will yeah. pay you this much. We will pay you like another five hundred thousand dollars if you break an eighty Metacritic score or something like that. Yeah, I've heard of that too. And then there's also, and I've seen this so many times, instances where a game will have like almost a nine point five Metacritic on the pro scale, and then like a six in the average user scale. So then I have to ask, so what good was all those user score or all those scores that all the critics gave it? When apparently most of the people who play the game are like, I don't know what game they were playing, but this was crap. Yeah. So I, it's, it really just came down to when I thought about it, as I read this article, and I thought to myself, like, these really don't matter. They don't tell me what I really want to know, which is what's good about it, what's bad about it, would I like it, should I at least give it a shot, or should I just avoid it altogether? And and there's the, and the thing is, and like we've talked about, you know, using the, the Netflix example, there are some things out there that can be terrible that you probably should still watch just for the sake of watching them. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, and so there there are probably some games out there that are so bad. You're like, listen, this game is horrible. It is objectively a mess. But if you see it in the bargain bin, you grab it. Huh. You grab it and you play it because I, you well, need okay. to experience this. How successful has Goat Simulator been, given what it is? And it, what kind of a rating looks, should you give that? It, it yeah, it, it defies I, I, rating. Exactly. It, it it's something you can describe or try to explain, but it, there, there is no rating for it because it's not. It's it is what it is. It's just a whole bunch of insanity. Exactly. And so you have all this going on, but I don't even think know, that was what, meant what to be a do? commercial it, release at first. It was just something they yeah. did as a joke, and people liked it so much they yeah. sold it. So what are you going to give that? A nine point five? You're going to give it the same score you'd give a Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's that's why those review scores are dumb. And you know, there there are some different systems because one of the big things we're talking about here is trying to break your liking of a game down into a single dimension. You know, you're talking about your one unit of game quality score. What yeah. does that mean? There are other systems that I've seen that break it down into you know you see those little like fan scores you or or um. Oh, God. Again, I can't remember the name of the publication, but it would, like, break it down to, you know, your graphics, your gameplay, level design, whatever, and kind of add them up. But you could see it broken down into different levels. Yeah, and, I mean, there's some of that, but what I what I really find with those, and I also, I really dislike those, because I found, like, there were a lot of times where, like, let's say you have graphics. Okay, so let's say the game Papers, Please comes out. <laughs> All right, what, what are you going to give the graphics on Papers, Please? Can you really give that a 10? You know, like, does it, it yeah. doesn't... Yeah, it, but, it, it doesn't work great when you're dealing with retro-stylized yeah. stuff or, you know, uh, let's say um, Hotline Miami. That yeah. one doesn't exactly look right. great. Or, Party Hard, same thing. Yeah. I mean, any, any game that's retro-stylized, the, the, the graphics are going to take a hit. And then, so now you've you've kind of hobbled the game in the score... Basically saying like, okay, well, my score is now an eight, but it, I really, really like this game and think you should play it. However, now I'm putting it in the same category as games that are actually I I like a lot less, but I'm giving them the same score. So is the score? I mean, does it does the score serve the reviewer, or is the reviewer serving the score? Hmm. You know. And uh, kind of going back to the Metacritic thing, if you're going to have payments based off of some of this stuff. Um, I, I am not going to evoke a certain phrase, but this does bring up some questions of payola. I mean, hell, PvP Online had a, uh, uh, a story arc based on that idea of, of paying off reviewers for a good score. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, I'm not going to comment on it because uh, nobody has ever paid me for a review score on Hero Talk, hmm. ever. Um, and, and I don't know if any of it's going on, but I mean, there's certainly... The suspicion is out there, and I've I've well come across people who truly believe that people are paying money for good review scores. And I mean, there I mean there are stories that do raise some suspicions. The, the Jeff Gersman story, right off the top of my head, says like I mean that you, you can't say everything's on the up and up because that story exists. So yeah, I, if you look at some of I I'm a fan of Guru Larry, and if you look at some of his stuff, he talks about old. Um, uh, uh, British gaming magazines and the reviews that they put out, and it's it's quite clear they they were either bought off or just completely fraudulent because they were reviewing games that were not the games that were released. 
Yeah, I'm, and that that that's I'm, old. I'm sure that's happens, old old school but, stuff. But yeah. you know, the, it's clear that in 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 uh, situations like that, there was definitely something uh, yeah. inappropriate going on on some level. Right now, again, I'm I am not going to sit here and say IGN gets bought off, and 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 um, I can't think of another site off the top of my head other than IG. I don't I do do not believe that they're getting bought off for every single review they give. Yeah, but I also think in general, um, more so than like in the movie reviewing business, the critics, like the reviewers, and the people who create the content are a little more chummy and buddy buddy than they are otherwise. True, you know, like, there, well, like there, yeah, there's a lot of influence that publishers place on reviewers for you know making sure they stay kind of. Uh, uh, um, friendly to the publisher's wishes so that they can get, you know, early review copies and stuff. Yeah. I you mean, know. there have certainly been been some stories out there that have been confirmed true of things like there's an NDA and you can't release your score earlier than such and such a date unless you give it like a 9.0 or equivalent higher, mm -hmm. and then you can release it early. Like, that's kind of shady. Or now, they, they, they yeah. uh, invite some reviewers over on site to talk about or to, to get uh, um, a guided experience with the game or something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, giving them swag, giving them really impressive stuff. And, and you know, that it's that kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, trying to influence review scores that way. Right. Not actually openly saying it, but uh, giving favors anyway. Right. I mean, but at the same time, you know, like. So granted, you didn't you didn't make me give the game over an I know, but if I want those hits from those early reviews, yeah, you, you know it, it's it, it, I don't think it's conscious, but subconsciously there there was probably some stuff going on. And I, again, I'm not trying to say throw anyone under the bus here. We're not not trying to invoke any movements right now and saying that you know the games journalism is is a problem because first of all, I don't believe games journalism actually exists. And I've been I'm on the record for saying that, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll recognize it when I see it, but I haven't seen it yet. But and also because I just don't think it's quite as rampant, especially because the consumers based on rumors are a little more sensitive to that sort of thing now. And so they almost even if they'd like to, I don't think they really can as as overtly as, as that anymore, because people are now watching for that sort of thing. Hmm. Hey, and uh. Actually, to, uh, another spin on this, too, is a lot of video game stuff, it looks up to film, to Hollywood, to cinema, almost like a bigger brother. Yes. And it tries to emulate a lot of the practices. And so, you know, you know, there's rumor mills for movies, there's journalism in movies, there's trade journalism in movies, mm -hmm. and there's reviews in movies. So... You want to have reviews in games, but games critics, you, you can't interact with a game in the same way that you do with a movie, because you know a movie's a movie. Yet, despite what uh, George Lucas might want, movies are kind of static; they're set. Yeah. Right. Uh, games exist in a more fluid medium, you might say, uh, because you interact with them, uh, because they're planted on top of other technology uh so you can experience them in different ways you can and, and some of them are going to be better for different people i mean the whole 
I'm not a, a fan of the term, but walking simulator. It's going to be for some people. It won't be right. for others. Uh, yeah. So there's a whole lot more um, personal taste that's probably going to come into play with video games than movies. With a movie, you may not be a, as big a fan of the story, but you can appreciate the execution. With a game, if you can't get into the execution, which is a bigger problem there, then it's going to taint your review. Yeah. You can't help it. On top of which, there are plenty of games that are just revered, but are buggy. And mm -hmm. that doesn't exactly hurt their score, but if they were smaller, less ambitious, or failed in other ways, then people would care about those bugs a lot more. Looking at you, Bethesda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's it, it's really weird. Uh that you can have games that are buggy, like visibly buggy, like you you will experience a crash or a freeze when you play it, but it's amazing, you know, nine point five out of ten. I, you know, did that is that number really telling you anything? Like, would you give another game that was buggy and freezy a nine point five? It's, you know, and I and I think maybe it's something to be told, but how do you put a number to that? You because you can always say like, listen, you will like this. We know it's buggy. It's great. But give it a shot. Just trust us. And I think that's valid. But saying, yeah, positive, really fun, negative, buggy, 9.5. What, I, what do I do with that? You mm -hmm. know, that's, that's why review scores are dumb and they don't matter. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I almost wish we were counting how many times that phrase was said, but <laughs> that might be the first time. Yeah. Um. On this podcast, anyway. On, oh, oh, God, I'm not going to go back through the archive and count how many times you've said that. <laughs> no, you can it's, do it's that. important. I, no, I won't. I don't go into my own archives, man. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Hero Talk, though. I don't care for the host. <laughs> I stole that joke from Conan O'Brien, but it's still funny. <laughs> not my bit, but still funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, really, really, just the, the, the change of... And then, and then another big problem is, okay, you're going to talk about a game. Is it different on one platform than another? Is it different on PlayStation versus Xbox versus possibly a Nintendo port versus PC versus Mac versus mobile or whatever? Arkham know? Knight. <clears throat> <laughs> Just an example right off the top of my head where console players might have had a different experience than PC players on the same game. And so... Oh, yeah. So, I mean, in that case, it's really kind of crazy because you found a lot of, of companies and they they, basically, they had to find some way around, okay, so on the console it plays wonderfully and it's an awesome game. And on the PC, it is borderline unplayable. Do we have a separate PC score? Because very, it's very weird that you would have a separate scores per platform. Mm -hmm. It's unusual, but it's something that we're starting to see more of these days as – stuff like this happens you usually well, can get a well it used or... to be it used to be fairly common because you know the different platforms had their own you know, games the, the, yeah yeah well like uh in the sega genesis era console wars uh, uh sega genesis right. and nintendo super nintendo console war eras then you know if you had a cross console release that was a big deal and people were going to look at it different and they were going to look and behave different because the architectures were inherently right. different and yes. now the 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 resolution possible is so high that those changes you know your palette available it's or 
you know, it really comes down to do you prefer the ergonomics of one controller versus another or side <laughs> features? Yeah. You know, I like the PlayStation controller. I find it much more ergonomic. Yes, I prefer having both uh, analog sticks in the middle. But yeah. but if you prefer it uh, crossways, that's fine. Just don't I, refer I it love to it the crossways. Yeah. Okay. You know? Just don't pre- I love refer to it as cool. don't refer to it as the correct configuration because I disagree. So obviously, it's a matter of taste, you jerks. Although I think we can fairly say that whatever Nintendo comes up with is probably incorrect, or at least weird. Yeah, I can live with weird. They usually will come up with something weird. I The N64 controller pops in my head when I saw that sucker. And I'm like, I have two hands, <laughs> yet there are three places for hands to go on this controller. I'm not sure I see where you're going with this, Nintendo. Well, I'll give them credit, though. That was the first uh, functional commercial analog stick. I mean, they, there were some around before then, but that was the first, you know, mass market appeal analog stick. So yeah. I give them now, a bit. Of, I give them a bit of slack for a weird design because it was, you know, the yeah. innovator. Yeah. Now, now you can't have not analog sticks with your controller these days. Yeah, okay, now unless... you need two. You need two. <laughs> unless you're one of those uh, plug-and-play retro things. That's true. Or, or the Sega Master System on sale in Brazil. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep, but still around. Basically a plug-and-play itself, but uh, yeah. whatever. Anyhow, back to reviews. Mm-hmm. I give our review of controllers an 8.5. <laughs> what would it take to be a perfect 10? Um, Probably if you paid me some money, I'd give it a 10. <laughs> you Metacritic. <laughs> and okay speaking of metacritic again like i understand the the idea of having a uh a, a video game basically a video game equivalent of rotten tomatoes right that makes sense to me so a metacritic in and of itself i'm okay with but i i do prefer i think i do prefer more the rotten tomatoes version itself of is this po- a positive review or a negative review and just aggregating yes. that I like that a lot better than the Metacritic score because, I mean, it's I I really do think it's it's generally binary. Is like, would you recommend somebody see this movie or would you not recommend somebody see this movie? Yeah, you know, and, and I, now, you know, there, you there's, know, because that's another thing with movies. You yeah. can give something like one star and say you have to see this. Yeah, I mean, have you seen? True. Have you seen what was it? Greg uh, Greg Jackson's uh, what was it called? Brain Dead or dead alive uh, the the old one with all this crazy gore and zombies no i have not it's really weird it's very bloody it's insane there's no way you can call it like a good movie in the sense of prestige but it's weird and fun i mean that that's a recommended one star movie <laughs> yeah i mean there, i i can think of plenty of movies that did not do well that I would at least recommend somebody watching. I mean, I don't always agree with Rotten Tomatoes. Like, Batman v Superman was in the 20%, and I said, there's no way that movie deserves to be in the 20% range. Mm-hmm. Like, well, isn't the, uh, the, the, and that's why there's a difference between the critic's score and the user's score. If memory serves, the user's review of Batman v Superman was considerably higher. Maybe not yes. great, but considerably higher than the critic's score. Right, yeah, there, there was a, a marked difference there, and, yeah. and I think, 
No, I mean, it's very unusual for you to see that, but I mean, that's very possible. We're critics, uh, and I've, I've tried not to be this guy as I've done hero talks, uh, and I watch a lot of movies, but when you start looking at things and think of ways to score them, uh, and especially if you're looking for topics that you need to talk about for an extended period of time to carry on a conversation about the movie, you find yourself starting to key in on little things that a regular moviegoer doesn't care about. You know, anytime I'm on a hero talk and I'm talking about, well, I was looking at the schematic in the background in terms of how this thing worked, <laughs> and I have to realize that your John Q movie moviegoer doesn't care about the schematic in the background and how it worked. You know, <laughs> Jane Q Netflix watcher does not sit there with her timeline and try to track when Daredevil actually did meet Elektra and how that related to season one. That's mm -hmm. that's me because I do a hero talk podcast. And so I can definitely see where I, as a critic, I'd be like, well, no, the cinematography wasn't right. And it, it was edited weird and the transitions were, were off. And then somebody else watches was like, no, it was really fun. So yeah, how many, yeah. how many people watching, I don't know, Dolomite are going to care that there's a boom mic visible at one point or something like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, I, that's things that sometimes when you when you review stuff i wouldn't say for a living cuz i don't make a dime doing it but when you when you review stuff often you you find yourself yeah. becoming a little bit more critical than a, a normal moviegoer and i try not to be that person i really do but it, it's inevitable in some cases i just you see so many movies you recognize so many different tropes and so many different clichés that you start to kind of key in on on things in the background and and other things like that because you just you have more practice doing it. Yeah, and Doug Walker, the nostalgia critic, did a, a whole bit about this idea of when the critics are wrong or are, are critics pointless. And he ex he also went into the whole idea that you know critics just watch a lot more. So if something's really designed for mass market appeal, and I I don't exactly want to use the phrase lowest common denominator, but it's a, a handy shorthand for what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. It's going to be boring to critics because they've seen it all before and they want to be challenged with something new. And so critics are going to be interested and have fun with something that's much more ambitious and expansive or, or experimental. And that might put off a lot of casual moviegoers who want a little bit of ex escapism or to be wrapped up in something else, or are just looking for a good story, or something like that, it might be less approachable for them. So something there isn't a built-in difference between what appeals to a critic and what appeals to the audience. And that kind of gets back to what you were saying a while ago about there's a difference between giving something a score and finding someone for whom their tastes seem to align with yours, and kind of listening to their recommendations. Yeah. And I think personally, I much I would much rather find people whose tastes kind of line up with mine, and then see what they're playing and kind of pick that game. Like there's a, there's a, a Twitch and a Twitch streamer and a, and a YouTube uh, not a YouTuber a podcaster, uh, and and she basically almost always has the same taste in, in a game that I would have. Hmm. And so I generally find that if she plays a game and says she likes it, I'll probably pick it up and give it a try. Um, even uh, Dark Princess on Enthusiasts, she also has taste very similar to mine. And I've uh, I've bought several games almost exclusively on her recommendation. Um, 
I know in the past you've sent me and uh, to get games that you thought I'd like, and I've, I've picked those up too. And so, I, you know, and I, now those are obviously people who I sort of have a more, little bit more personal relationship with, you know. But it, that's sort of what you want from your game critic, though, is you want to have this person who's like, I know what kind of games that. Uh, I'm just trying to think of a name off the top of my head. So, uh, that Dwight American Flag Man. <laughs> I just picked objects on my desk. I'm sorry. Uh, th- this writer for IGN or this writer for GameSpot, is that still a thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't know either. Eurogamer, that's a thing. When you have the writers... Rock, paper, the- shotgun. Are they still a thing? Yeah. Really? Yep. I am so out of the loop on these. Anyway, so... Obviously, We're I kinda- adults. We're busy. Yeah. <laughs> I I also I listen. I just bought to, a house. Cut us some slack. I just got a car. <laughs> that w- that has no relevance. I was just bragging at this point. I just bought a car. So anyway, but yeah, I I also most of the people I get review scores from are very small because generally those people tend to align more with me. But any, but you know you you want to have a person on these sites that you listen to and you're like this is the person I want to hear their review score. Um, and ideally you'd want to hear their whole review and not just their score because then I, I think review scores really should just be, it's a, it should be one sentence instead of a, a number because the, you know, the number doesn't mean a whole lot. And I, I guess it gets hard when you have, like, let's say that, that Kelly is the reviewer who I want to hear review this game, but, uh, Tommy is the reviewer who actually reviews it. So then, how do I figure out what Kelly would say about it if Tommy reviews it? So I can kind of see where people are coming from, where having some kind of number system might at least give them some relation or some level of standardized reporting. Yeah. Or as some sites used to do this way back in the, in the day, I apologize for using that phrase, by the way, where, you know, Tommy would write his review score. And then like in, in the corner after he was done, he'd be like, here was Kelly's review score. Here yeah. was John's they, they, they review get scores score. from everybody on staff yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. But just one of them wrote up the, the long form review. Right. Um, but I would still, I, I still think the better review is like, does Kelly recommend you play this game? You know, give Kelly a sentence to be like, uh, it was really good, interesting story, ending was a bit flat, still worth your time. Mm-hmm. Rather, because that tells me more than, oh, well, Kelly gave it a, a 9.2. Like, okay, I guess Kelly liked it. Hmm. You know. Well, and then, uh, so all of this really is what gives rise to, to you know, the YouTubers and the streamers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what people are kind of more interested in these days. I think... I don't think I'm necessarily in in a dying minority when I say review scores are dumb and they don't matter. Oh, no, I think you're more, not. More and more people are starting to come around to, to this way of thinking with me. Yeah, and, it's, it's more about a recommendation versus a score. Right, exactly. I mean, even even the the movies, when they give it a number of stars, like they'll, even that, I think, is starting to get a little overdone. Obviously, I don't even give movies review real scores anymore because... I think just in general, the review score is dumb just as a system. Mm-hmm. I, I think with movies, the uh, the star system has kind of come to be, where would you rate this on a prestige picture scale, almost? You know? Right. Um, yeah, but the problem is, is that there's a lot of five-star movies out there that I would not find the least been entertaining. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So that scale doesn't help me at all. So saying, <laughs> oh, it got four out of five stars. Like, there's a lot of awful movies that I don't like that got four out of five stars. So you got to help me out here, you know, so. And if anyone thinks about having box office receipts as, uh, as a review of quality, that doesn't help either. Yeah, Transformers. There are one. There are wonderful movies that bombed and terrible movies that were huge successes. There were terrible movies that were huge successes, but then after the first weekend, people realized they were terrible and no one saw it again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, none of that matters. So the, the score fails me. I need somebody to actually say, here's what I thought of the movie. Here's where the good points were. I think it's worth seeing or not. And and that's and, that's that's like how uh, Red Letter Media does it with the, their Half in the Bag show. It's at the end, it's not a review score. It's would you recommend this? And they'll say yes or no or maybe yes to this kind of person. Or mm-hmm. uh, one of them will say, yeah, it worked for me, but I don't think it'll work for anybody else. Or you know, stuff like yeah. that. And and now I've seen some some sites. Uh, they they kind of take the review score and they kind of alter it to sort of along those lines where maybe it's a five star system but their their stars are de- related to like you know you should watch this movie in the theaters you should watch it maybe at a matinee don't pay full price for it or you know maybe just wait for the Blu-ray or you know wait for it to come on TV or just don't ever watch it for any reason. Yeah. Or, you know, this is the greatest movie ever. You need to watch it as many times as you can. Or this people who created this movie need to commit Harry Carey. You know, like, like they, they actually have very clearly defined meanings in this score. Yeah. Well, yeah. the the one site I'm thinking of who's now gone and they don't exist anymore. So maybe this wasn't really the best way to go. Uh, I don't know if there's any politics involved or whatnot. But like, I think their review scores were. Uh, full price, matinee, um, Blu-ray, maybe, and then, uh, crap, or something like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of those, I think, because I just don't recall off the top of my head. Um, Blu-ray might not have been one, I might be thinking of somebody else, but it, it was along those lines, you know, like, it's, yes, you should go absolutely go to the theater and see this movie, it's great, or... Well, don't don't spend full price on it, but it's at least worth seeing. Or it's like if you happen across it someday, you you can stop and watch it, or don't ever see it for any reason, regardless. So yeah, and we're talking a lot about movies, but again, that kind of comes to the point of how video games kind of tries to emulate the movie industry. Like it right. feels like a very similar industry, despite some very significant differences. So almost as a reflex, you want to have this sort of critical review community, but it's not old enough and it's not something in that model may work, but it can't be the exact same apparatus. It can't no. have the same reporting structure. Right. And that's I think that's where you sort of got these out of tens and out of some out of fives that I saw out there. Uh, I, I, I knew this one site. There's some gonna... that do out of 100. Yeah, I knew a site once that did out of 50. Mm. That was pr- plenty confusing. But yeah, out of 100, like, do you really need to go out of 100? Like, what? And again, because it, it, it leads to the exact same thing. Well, if this game was a 91 and this game was a 92, how did you determine that there was one score units different between these two games? And, I mean, a lot of that, I think, has to do with uh, just this being a very young medium. I mean, for some yeah. people... 
it's going to be, it, it will have existed for as long as they've been alive, but still, I mean, compared to film, it's, it's a pretty yeah. young medium. Yeah. And also unlike film, there's not a whole lot of going back and exploring the history of it, you know? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Archiving video games is not easy. It's, like, some can... people some people do, you know, like, Devil oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from our site basically has all the video games and all the systems, but, like, let's say you're you're uh, a brand new teenager and you're about to, to buy your first system and you're going to get yourself an Xbox One or a PS4, depending on your controller choice. You're not going to end up going back and, like, play a game and think like, oh, yes, this was reminiscent of Super Mario Brothers. That person can't just go and like, oh, well, let me go buy Super Mario Brothers and play that game and see how there, there's not that historical context for it the same way you have with movies. Whereas I can sit on the same Blu-ray player that I've been watching for years and be like, huh, I kind of want to watch Casablanca and watch that movie, even though it's 80 some years old. Yeah. But I mean, and, there's, you're not doing that with games. So you're, you're in the moment. There's still stuff like emulation and re-releases and stuff, but it, it, it's that's not going to hit everything. Re-releases may be updated and may not run the same way. I mean, you talk about Super Mario Brothers. There's one example where in World, I think it's 8.1 or 8.2, where you know, you're running in front of a brick wall, and then all of a sudden you see a brick wall that has a little line on top, and that one's not in the background anymore. That's a coin block. And if you play the Super NES version, the background has parallax scrolling. So you can't hide the block there anymore. That little surprise feature doesn't work anymore at all. Um, yeah. And then there's stuff that's hardware dependent, like NES Zapper games or Super Scope. You cannot play light gun games anymore. They broke on flat screen TVs and they're completely gone with HD TVs. The, mm -hmm. Like, the only way you can play a light gun game now is with, like, a Wiimote zapper motion control thing. Yeah. And, uh, and in general... I'm, I'm sorry, no matter how good yeah. you calibrate it, it's not going to be as crisp and responsive, at least with that technology, as the old zappers. No, I uh, I had the uh the those the ones for the PlayStation. I think it was the PlayStation 3 for Time Crisis. Mm. And... Uh, there, there was a Namco release for PlayStation 1, at least, for Time Crisis. I know that one. I want to say it was Time Crisis 3. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, that, it was it was awful. Like, you had to stay in the same spot. You had to constantly pause and recalibrate. And it was it, it was it was terrible. It was an awful experience. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it's not a thing that's going to survive, I don't think. Like... So you, without that context, then it's not like you can ever go back and, and play any of the the old Zapper games, you know. Not unless you went out and bought a CRT television. Yeah. So, that, yeah. okay, that Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt's a pretty historically significant game in the video oh, yeah. games industry, and you have many, many people and more gamers every single day are coming on board who would be unable to play that game and get the historical context of it. Right. And so tying it all together. When you don't have that kind of context, it's very hard for your review score to be relevant when you can't tie it back to, well, if you go back to this game, this game was that. So if you think this game was bad, then you should see this because there's just there's there's none of that. You know, yeah, because you, can, you can't tie together like historical influences. Right. Like this game was influenced by that. And you can tell because you can go back and play it. It it it's very hard to do that for games. Yeah. So, 
And it creates issues. And in general, I think games and game players put far too much importance on game scores. You mentioned one example where people got mad when Zelda got an 8 when they felt it should have got higher. And I can think of one example at least where um, I think it was a review for Grand Theft Auto 4 or 5. And somebody gave it a 9.5 instead of a 10. And that reviewer got death threats because people didn't like the reasons why it got a 9.5 instead of a 10. And and it's uh, the reason why I don't think it should bother people is because review scores are dumb and they don't matter. And whether or not that reviewer <laughs> gave it a 9.5 or a 10 should be absolutely irrelevant because that's just a silly number that has no significance to anything. And again, and that's plus even in that point, like a 9.5 is I mean, rel- functionally about the same as a 10 in terms of recommendation, you know? Yeah. It's not like it's not like that .5 score unit that it was marked down for was going to be the thing that said you should not play this game. It's And you're going to so, be surprised that, I mean, and then we go back to bugs. I mean, Grand Theft Auto, I mean, it's no Bethesda game, but, you know, they're not exactly known for being bug-free. No, no, they're not. So, I mean, you could run into a few bugs and knock it down 0.5. I mean, that if you're going to run on a single uh dimensional measurement like that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's I mean, it it's all about your subjective experience. So Right. Which makes a to... one-dimensional measurement kind of weird. Yeah, it just makes the number very hard to see because somebody's going to subjectively say, well, I didn't like this, therefore I'm going to knock it down. Other people are going to say, well, that doesn't bother me, so you had no right to knock it down. The, the score, because the, the review scores are dumb, and that's why it was done. Because, I mean, I don't know what else you're going to do. People, I've, I've heard the call for objective review scores before. <sighs> and I just, that's not a thing that can happen because... You know, what's fun for one person might be cumbersome for another person. Yeah. So I, I could see like, people. Like, okay. Like, so, I, so, yeah. so take Dark Souls for an example. That game is not for everyone. No, no. There's definitely there, there's a certain core group of gamers who that game is for. Yeah. And, and, and there's certain people who do not fit that mold, who despite however wonderful the game might be. People, there are people who should not play that game. That game is, could be get a 10 out of 10, but it should be very clear to somebody like me that I should not play that game because that's not the game I'm looking to play. Yeah. It would be a miserable experience for you, but I yeah. enjoy that it is uh, uh, challenging, but it, 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 like tough but fair. I mean, it's very fair, but very you know stern with the player, and it has. A storytelling method that ropes in other kinds of players who who can deal with the challenge, but you know it can be off-putting at first. For some people, it can just have a really high barrier to entry. And I can name at least two reviewers, uh, Nerd Cubed and Yahtzee, who did not like those games at first, but after a while started to like them. Yeah. You know? So that being said, going back to the 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 core thesis here that review scores are dumb and don't matter. Do you want me to give a game like Dark Souls a score? Like, is my score really going to tell you anything about the game? If I come out and I say the game's a six, you're going to be like, wow, this game must be awful. Or maybe was the game not something I would really like? You you know what I mean? Like, it's, you don't want somebody like me assigning a score to a game like that because 
it, my experience is going to make the world of difference whether or not my review score would have even been relevant to you. Mm-hmm. So you'd much rather actually see what my review said and hear like, wow, it's a very competent game. It is very fair, but it's absolutely unforgiving. And so it should be for people who want that experience. That tells you a whole lot more than me saying six. I didn't enjoy it. It was very hard. For me. <laughs> and, and here's another problem with, with game reviews as opposed to movie reviews is that really games are made to be played for a long time. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them are made to be, you go through it and you go through it again. You keep going through it. Yeah. Um, I mean, even short games are usually expected to be about eight hours of playtime. Yeah. That's four times longer than your average movie. Yeah. So are you going to expect a reviewer to always go through enough of the game to be able to, give you a good representation of what's in there, or maybe they missed this one mind-blowing sequence. You know, yeah. that's, asking, that's asking quite a lot from, from reviewers to boil everything of, say, an 80-hour experience down into one number. It, it, it is inherently not reflective of the experience with the game. It can't right. be. And, and here's, here's a big deal, is that let's say there was one thing that was really, really, really down and negative in the course of an eight hour, even 20 hour gameplay session. Can you hold it against the reviewer? If he didn't find it as important as maybe a player would have. Yeah. You know, and so all of your points of view are going to be different from another person, which is why you need to find a reviewer whose tastes seem to be in line with yours. And at that point, you don't need the number or some of these other caveats because you understand their attention to certain caveats, their tastes are going to be like yours. There's obviously going to be some differences, of course, because we're all different people. But at that point, if you find someone whose tastes uh, are in sync with yours and they recommend it, well, that's what you need. I mean, again, it goes back to either everything is... You you need a, a lot more information, and if you're going to boil it down, it's binary. It's either you're recommending it or you're not. And trying to right. have in, uh, expand from binary to a single dimensional, you know, report or review score, it, it's like I said, it's not reflective of much of anything. Yeah, I I mean, there, a brief example, and I won't I won't venture into spoiler territory, but. For Batman v Superman, there are definitely uh, there's a point where you could say Batman may do something in the point of this movie that you're not going to like, and if that's the sort of thing that's important to you, it may ruin the movie for you. If that sort of thing isn't as important to you, or you feel you can look past it, it's not going to be that big a deal, and you can continue on and enjoy the movie. But if if you don't have that context outside of a review score, you know what if I were to just say. All right, so one out of five stars because Batman did this thing. But it's not like you got that in my review score. You just got one out of five stars. Hmm. Yep, it's... uh, I mean, I can't say... Like, the way you say it, uh, review scores are dumb and they don't matter. And what I say is it's inherently not reflective of the experience. Yeah. It's kind of what it all boils down to, really. Mm Mm-hmm. So, our advice, it seems... Find someone whose tastes mirror yours and listen to them. I mean, and and we're in a day and age where there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, you've got, you know, this isn't available everywhere, but Steam reviews, user reviews. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you see something where the reviews are overwhelmingly positive, 
you know that might be something yeah. worth giving it a look um yeah no i i will say i will say that like there's there's definitely a lot more now to some of these user scores where you can get an aggregate of some thousands and thousands of players and if thousands of players think a game is awful maybe there's something to that yeah and you know again if thousands and thousands of players say like no this this is a must play there's probably something to that too but whether you know kelly or tommy from ign think a game is worth playing that is a single point of that that means nothing to me absolutely mm-hmm. nothing aggregates they're awesome and and the steam reviews are also they go to binary it's thumbs up thumbs down and yeah they, which is how can, it should be yeah. yeah and then you can look through and people have blurbs explaining giving some mm-hmm. context to what they liked or disliked and you can yeah. start picking up trends in their in their responses right i mean there's there's there are ways around this where you know you know it's not like you have to just completely get rid of scores and say instead of a review score you have to write a paragraph but you need to be you need to be smarter than just give an arbitrary number out of 10 and expect that to mean anything to anybody and that kind of, that's kind of why uh uh, uh Conan O'Brien himself parodies this stuff with his uh clueless gamer reviews where you know he'll you know have reviews that are just he just comes up with random numbers if numbers in a, in a, in a completely senseless scale and at the uh, end he says and I give this you know whatever and you can figure out what that means yeah because he apparently also thinks that review scores are dumb and they don't matter yeah i'm i obviously i'm inclined to agree with them because review scores are dumb and they in fact do not matter <laughs> so let's try this okay have you had any gaming experience that you can think of where you entirely did not agree with uh, uh, the critics' apparent um, uh, feelings on the game. Hmm. All right. So I, I'm going to say this now. It's almost like a deep, dark confession. People will hate me for what I'm about to say. So I bought the re-release of Shadows or uh, Shadow of the Colossus, <laughs> and I was finally going to play it for myself because it was like a sin. I saw you play through the whole thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I've seen you play through it. So like, I knew the game. But it looked like a masterpiece. I was finally going to play it for myself and kind of experience it. And I thought the controls were clunky and a little clumsy. And, and the colossi were sort of a little odd. And and so at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, so this wasn't really a really good experience for me. <laughs> so that's a game where I'm like, I'd have a hard time recommend that recommending that game to somebody today. And that's highly regarded as probably the most artistic and masterpiece of all games. Yeah. I well, I mean, consider this. I mean, as an experience, I I I played it when you were around, and and you watched the whole thing. As an experience to watch, it was phenomenal. Yeah. As an experience and, to play, I disliked it uh, immensely. And I would say, in some of that, there's uh, uh, it, that's the player experience, not necessarily the storytelling experience. And there's some differences there because, like you said, uh, Wander, your main character isn't you know a super powered badass he you know i understand what you're saying when the controls are a little clunky and unresponsive and some of that's because you know he's not you know super nimble he's not a ninja when he's jumping around stuff he is he feels a lot more i hate using the word grounded but i mean it's kind of true in this case uh you know what i mean where where he he'll stumble in his running animation and there's all kinds of 
fascinating uh, little touches they have to that. So he feels very mortal. And one of the reasons for that is because then in the gameplay, when he keeps getting the crap kicked out of him, it also brings about a, a sense of, you know, just how determined he is, despite the fact that, uh, uh, you know, he's not getting through these things unscathed. And so that kind of comes into play again in your play control setup. But that has the consequence of potentially making it a less pleasant experience to actually play through it. So, you know, I I love Shadow of the Colossus, and I'll play through it. I'll play through the whole thing repeatedly. I've beaten it, and I, you know, I played it through it for you, and I've done it again mm. since then. I also bought the re-release, um, and those things don't bother me so much. I look at it as the game is not strictly a power fantasy. It's not meant to empower you it's not you know a, a dynasty warriors where you're mowing through hordes of enemies it's also though not a disempowerment fantasy it's not a silent hill where you do the correct answer is almost always to run away it's trying to be much more middle of the road with that so while you are there to fight them it's built in that you know you're not just the slaying conqueror you know and that is really important context in a review. Yeah. You know, that's something that won't come out in a number. Right. That, that you have to have a more in-depth analysis in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or look at the aggregate of, you know, who liked how many people like it, how many people don't, why do they like it, why do they not like it. Yeah. But uh, if you just had me give a number and then you give a number, that doesn't really tell anybody much of anything. <laughs> so, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be... And... and a lot of reviews still, though, they'll have, you know, explanations, but then they'll have a number at the end, and there are people who will just kind of skip to the conclusion. Yeah, and, and, and they're, those people, you people out there, you know, that, that's part of the problem is that we, we as, as sort of the consumer become so focused on that number that that number becomes almost the only takeaway I mean, it's it's usually on the page of the review. It's big, giant, bold letters somewhere that immediately take your eye to that to be like, okay, so this game got a nine point five. Um, I would I would prefer if if we're really gonna do the review score thing, uh, then it should be at the end and it should be in no more bolded or have attention called to it than the rest of the text. It almost works better in the podcast form when I hear like a podcast do it because. What they'll you have do to there get through is, all the explanation yeah, to get you gotta to the talk conclusion. first and then you gotta give the score. So it's not like you can just skip right to the score like you can on page. You have to listen to all everything they have to say about it before you're finally gonna get your score. And then maybe then it actually helps because you have the context before you get the number. Hmm. Yeah, but out of I mean, out of context, that number would have meant nothing to me. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean kind of taking it back a step. I don't like asking questions for which I don't have an answer. And I felt like when I was asking you about a review that, that uh, you disagree with, um, I was kind of treading on thin ice with that yeah. concept, but I do have something to say where I, I played through say uh call of duty, modern warfare, the first one. And so call of duty for modern warfare. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my my naming of it should kind of betray the fact that I'm not exactly too into these things. Mm-hmm. A lot of your uh, uh, big budget FPSs 
Modern Warfare I got into a little bit because it had a certain amount of narrative strength. Uh, all of the sequels that have come out, it's like, oh, there's the, what, No More Russians. That's, you know, basically their, you know, nuclear bomb moment. And, you know, uh, I kind of got through it once. I didn't feel any need to experience this again. There's just, you know, they try to surprise you with something and... Eh, it's all just like a tour of set pieces. It feels like a ride at Disneyland more than, you know, a gaming challenge. And I'm not too big on uh, online uh, FPS competition. It's just, I'm, honestly, I've, I, I play a lot of games, but my reaction times aren't super great. So it, uh, 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 Twitch games aren't my cup of tea. I mean, I do play a lot of Tekken. If you've yeah. listened to me on yeah, uh, Point Streak much, I'm pretty much always playing Tekken, but Tekken's a lot slower than Street Fighter. All your punches and kicks have lead time. Right. So there's a lot more mental, uh, you know, baiting going on in there. So uh, there's a lot of times where I don't strictly have to react. But uh, my own gaming habits aside, I mean, it's like I, I never really got too into those games. I just find them boring for the most part. If I was going to play an FPS, I found... Um, Spec Ops The Line, far more interesting because there were a lot of narrative twists and just, I don't want to spoil it if for, for those of you out there who haven't played this old game, uh, it's old now, but mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, it'll it throw you for a loop. It, halfway through it, I felt, you know, this is uh, the video game version of Apocalypse Now, and uh, yeah, they kind of have the same roots in storytelling, so I felt a little, uh, uh, a little, um enriched by the experience and for me that's kind of what i'm looking for so you know i'll tip my hand here i'm a bit more of your snooty critic when in video game playing (laughs) (laughs) i've seen a lot of stuff so i want something interesting you know you can look at a call of duty it's like this if you had me reviewing the latest call of duty like this is completely confident competently made for what it is i found the level design uninspired i found the weapons uninteresting and i was bored to death half the time uh i got halfway in and wasn't exactly interested in it so what do you want me to say i'd probably give it a five out of ten and people would hate me for it but i'm just telling they you would, how i felt about it you would get <laughs> you death know? threats yeah and can but, we chill it with the death threats people that's well, not I mean, that's, cool yeah you know if if we want to try to convince the world that gaming is a perfectly acceptable hobby and gamers aren't just emotionally stunted and immature, we need to stop threatening people with death when they don't like the same stuff the same way we do. Or just, are reporting on something that actually happened with, like, people got death threats because they told people that No Man's Sky got pushed back a month. That's absurd. Yeah. that ha- Now... To, to be fair, this isn't something that just gamers get to enjoy. Basically, the internet just gets to enjoy these these folks. Mm. But I feel like, and this might be unfair, I feel like it happens more often with games and the reaction by gamers than it does with perhaps moviegoers <laughs> or book readers. Hey, Although, hey, I don't know. I've, I, 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 I've, I've really used that. I've used uh, death threats as a measure of success. Like, yeah, you know you've made it when you've gotten a death threat. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, I was just thinking, though, as I mentioned book readers, I'm like, I bet if, if the newest Game of Thrones book had something go wrong with it, I bet George R.R. R. Martin would hear about it. So maybe... Uh, I'm maybe, sure he's already getting death threats because it's so late. 
I'm sure he is. Man, can people just not be awful people? No. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. All right. Well, I just figured I'd ask. Maybe. Maybe. Always worth a shot. You. You. you, Better to shoot for the moon and soar with the birds than shoot for the streetlight and end up in the gutter. Yes. Right. But yeah, basically, you know, I've I'm I actually kind of like first person shooters. I'm not super great at them. I don't like their online elements, uh, especially mm-hmm. because I I'm not an early adopter of games. I usually like to get them after they've been discounted. And with games like your <laughs> Call of Duty with like an online upgrading system, if I if I have not I don't like to enter at level one when everyone else is level fifty. Yeah, it's it's not fun for me. So. But like I, I liked Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It's actually probably one of my favorite games of last generation. Um, I like Halo, and I know you don't care much for Halo at all. Not particularly, no. Yeah, I. Uh... It's one of those things. That, it's another one. Everyone loves it. I really can't get into it. I played through, and it's not that I never tried it. I played all the way through the story campaigns for the first two of them, and the first one, the level design made me want to freaking smash my head in seriously we went backwards for five minutes and didn't realize it because everything was so samey and the second one i just found just unengaging the the dual narrative was so disjointed for me yeah see now in that case you actually go along with what most critics say because everyone thought the dual narrative was very disjointed yeah and um honestly with that with those where i was also playing them co-op which made it really weird yeah with with the narrative but uh there was, uh, and I never really played any of the multiplayer one because I'm just not so interested. I, I, you know what? Actually, there is a first-person shooter that I played online multiplayer, uh, a, a fair amount, not a ton, but a fair amount. That was Unreal Tournament 2004, and the reason I enjoyed that was mostly I think it was assault mode, where. Uh, like, there's two teams in a scenario, one team's going for an objective and the other team's trying to defend it, and then when it's done, you swap sides and see if the other team can either do it faster or get closer. And it's very asymmetrical, and I enjoy that. Hmm. Uh, again, I'm getting all snooty critic, and the thing that I enjoy is the unusual thing that I found interesting and challenging. Also, I found the football mode amusing as hell. But uh, I guess that's neither really here nor there. I think a lot yeah. of people didn't like football, but I, I, I thought it was neat. I'm going to throw the football at you and then shoot you and take it back. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I never uh, really got into Unreal Tournament. I did I did Quake. It's, it, I, and, I, I uh, found it just one. cartoony enough that, that it just jibed with me. Although I've, I've, I, I have not tried Overwatch. I never really got into the hype, but I've heard just enough that, that I'm interested in seeing what it's about now. Overwatch looks fascinating. I thought the same thing about Destiny. I never got into Destiny or or uh, the Division. Those are some games that are out that are getting. But again, I don't have a ton of time to devote to a game. So like, yeah, yeah. Usually that's a leveling another, up system is like. Oh. That's another reason I'm the snooty critic type is I don't have a lot of time either. I've played a lot, so I want to see something interesting, and I don't have a lot of time. So if you're gonna take my time. It better be worthwhile. Also, because when I play a game, I like to keep at it for a while. So if you're not if you're not going to keep my interest for more than a couple hours, we might have a problem. And see, I'm the other way. I prefer my games to be a little smaller in 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 scope and in size because I don't want to be playing like I cannot play a Fallout for three or four times a year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I put. 100 plus hours into Fallout 4 thus far, and I haven't even gotten to Far Harbor yet. (laughs) 
I haven't even started Fallout 4 yet. Yeah. So, so I'm going to get to it eventually. But and and that's yeah. another thing is I I do tend to be a bit behind the curve. I do tend to kind of wait and see what people think and then pick stuff up. Yeah, and there's some wisdom to that because you can, you know, you also can get it cheaper. You can get it cheaper and then you can weed out spending time on stuff that you don't want because we're paying attention to I pay attention to actual opinions of the game. I pay very little attention to review scores because they're dumb and they don't matter. There we go. But yeah, I, I actually like the, the shorter games because I, I like to be able to sort of get through the narrative quickly. And I, I found myself uh, in Halo 4 especially, I found that there were a couple of times where I was playing through and thinking like, I could really enjoy this if there were fewer enemies and more story. Yeah. So I don't almost I almost kind of like wish like the combat padding wouldn't exist in some games and in some games they don't and I've I've had some fun with some games that really didn't have much in in the way of combat and were really uh very narrative driven but then at the same time I enjoyed Fallout 4 and I did a lot of shooting people in the face with shotguns in that game so yeah and then there's uh, uh another another example on my side is uh uh Killer 7 I'm doing a uh I, th- this this is in progress. I've mentioned it before. I swear it is in progress and it will be released. Uh, uh, Goose and I are going through this. And that is a game where, like, the narrative is weird and interesting. The gameplay itself is mm, hamstrung. And the uh, actual, like, the, the puzzles you have to go through are, the clues are so on the nose. They're almost just there to kill time or to just force you to jump through hoops. It's like, it's, there's very little fun in figuring it out. There's very little fun in fighting through the combat. But, so, so for a lot of people, a lot of people would hate that game. But I, because the storytelling is so weird like if you're gonna say that um uh 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 uh, uh spec ops the line is the apocalypse now of games then uh, killer seven is like the naked lunch of video games it is bizarre and fascinating and i certainly wouldn't recommend it for everybody like even even if i were to give it on a, a score out of 10 if you made me have to give it a score, I would have to give it a low score, but I would still recommend people just try to check it out. Huh. So that would be an instance where, like, the review score for that game would be dumb and not really matter. Yeah. Hmm. My, my own review score, because if you're going to have to put it on a single-dimensional review, there's so much just unpleasant about it. The, the experience of playing it, there's there, it's just... Ugh. Like, it's it's really hard to explain without just seeing it. Um, but uh, it, the, it makes the experience of playing it so unpleasant. Not necessarily that it's entirely unpleasant, but it impacts the experience so much that I don't think I could honestly, if you had to give have me put it on that single-dimensional review, that I could give it more than six and a half? I guess, yeah, you know, two thirds or whatever. But that other, st- like, and and it'd probably be more like a five, if 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 I were, you know, a professional review that had to work on an of ten rating. But I find the game so fascinating that when I played it the first time, I played it all the way through, and I said I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. I played it all the way through again. I said I'm still not sure if I liked it or not. I played it all the way through a third time, and I was like, I played it through it three times. <laughs> I must like this. 
And that's the 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 weird div- split with that game that I have. It's like right now I'm all I'm almost all I'm doing about it is complaining about it, but saying you have to see this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why I'm I'm doing this project with Goose is because I want other people out there to see it, but I can't necessarily recommend that they do it. it and Yahtzee, Yahtzee loves Killer Seven because he has no idea how to identify it. But, you know, if you look at it, I don't think that he'd be able to strictly recommend it as a game-playing experience. It's In that in that sense, it's a little miserable. Yeah. Um, Again, review scores are dumb and they don't matter. Oh, and I haven't been counting how many times we've said that. No, but it's important. Repetition comes, <laughs> comes with learning. So just got to keep saying it and then people will figure it out. <laughs> It'll help you remember. <laughs> yes. This town is a part of us all. A part of us all. A part of us all. Anyhow. And, and you know, review scores, even if you get that perfect 10, who does it help? What's the difference between a 9.5 and a 10? It doesn't affect the, the people who are going to buy it. The people who get upset that it wasn't a 10 are people who are going to buy it anyway. Right. The people who review it. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter to them. I mean, unless you assault them or something, which, you know, that that... That's the the um, assailant's fault, or the the, the person uh, doing yeah. the assaulting, um, and the um, the the game makers. Um, I've been on a game that got a perfect ten, and I don't remember the publication, but I remember it was one that did not give out perfect tens very much. And uh, I guarantee you, no one remembers it now. So yeah, that didn't matter to me. And, you know, there I don't know how many times I've seen this where like, yeah, this was wrong and this could have used some improvement. Perfect ten. Wait <laughs> now wait a wait a minute. Wait there were there were things you just said were some of that stuff was objectively bad. Like not even subjective. <laughs> but you still gave it a perfect score. So one, it doesn't do anything to dissuade people from thinking that the review scores are shady and paid off and influenced. And the other part is that alright, so then what makes it a perfect 10 then? Because it's apparently not flawless because you still gave it a perfect 10. And I want to meet the guy out there who sits there and goes like, I'm only going to play a game if it gets perfect review scores. They deserve to get smacked upside the head. Yeah. function. So functionally to the consumer, a 9.5 and a 10 are basically the same score. And you can even go down to maybe even a 9 and a 9.5 and a 10 because all of that's in the, in the, yeah, really good, you should buy it category in terms of <laughs> how a, a consumer might internalize that. So yeah. what's the point of having all those intermediate scores? It doesn't really mean much. They're all an A in our heads when we Nine when we and up is highly recommended. It it should be. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah. It's so anyway, I think I what I'm just trying to reemphasize here is that review scores are dumb and they don't matter. <laughs> okay. I, I think we may have beaten this to death enough now. <laughs> Unless you have more that you really feel compelled to pile on. No, I believe the rotisserie beatdown is complete. Ah, yes, yes. We have to work that phrase in more. (laughs) Uh, So, now's the part where I'm going to ask you if you have any fun little stories you'd like to share. And I believe you said at one point there was uh, another little thing that you wanted to share. Or am I thinking of somebody else? No, that was me. No, I actually... Preparing for future behind the line radios, I started to go through and think of some other <laughs> game. Uh, so, so here's one actually from a, a game I was testing. The only game I've ever tested. I only have one game to my name, to my credit in in my uh, in my whole QA career. But 
Oh, can I look you up on Moby Games for that? I don't even know if you could, honestly. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, hey, hey. you should be able to. I'm on the credits, you know. But <laughs> well, I mean, I've I actually counted. I I think I have two credits that are in Moby Games, but my name was recorded differently on them, so I have two different entries in Moby Games <laughs> as a person. That's and yet, I counted the number of titles that I've worked on, and because it's mobile, there's a lot of them. So I have two entries in Moby Games, and I've worked on over 180 titles. Yeah, so that's why I say maybe. <laughs> but uh, so, so anyway, I was, yeah, I was so I was playing this game, and one of the uh, one of the internalized requirements was that it needed to be able to have because it was an arcade style game, and so it needed to be able to play. Two hours in a in a given gaming session without any adverse effects, no crashes or anything. Ah, your old soak test. Yeah. So and two they, hours is not a very stern soak test. No, it, it wasn't, but that's that's what the requirement was. So mm-hmm. t- take it or leave it. I'm I, I'm the tester on this one, so I, that's what the requirement was. That's the requirement I tested. The uh, the engineers developed uh, a mod for the game so that they could kind of set it and forget it and let it play for two hours. And it passed every single time. And so whenever the producer would come to me and say, all right, so let get, I, we need you to do your test so that we can get the warm fuzzy of the game stability, it would consistently crash at one hour and 56 minutes. <laughs> and so and it, it would go back and forth like that. So it would crash, and I'd, I'd you know grab all the logs and give them all back, and then they'd try to make some adjustments and figure out what happened. And they'd say, all right, try it again. And then I I would play this game for another hour and 56 minutes straight. And so what they finally realized what it was is that there was a small memory leak when you shoot the main gun in the game. <laughs> but because they were running a mod, they weren't shooting the gun. They, they basically made it, like, put themselves essentially in god mode uh-huh. and just let it go. And I, being that I was about the only person who actually could play the game because there was only two two playtesters, and one of them left the project halfway through, so it was just me. I was the only one who was actually skilled enough to play the game for two hours straight without dying. Because <laughs> nobody else could do it. Like, even... even oh, yeah, no, QA, yeah. QA winds up always being the best. Yeah, so I was the only one who, who could play it without mods for two hours and not die. And so that's how we found out that, that this little, tiny, tiny memory leak, something that would, you could almost barely see but over two hours became enough to crash the game mm-hmm. yep that's why uh one of my mantras for uh for qa is dta don't trust anyone yep particularly the engineers they sit there and they say hey look we got this uh we got this tool that'll run through the game well, yeah but guess what the tool isn't a player mm-hmm and it, something it was, I, I you you yeah. said you said it was a memory leak. I was half expecting that the the automation tool actually was firing the gun but fixing the memory leak on its own like <laughs> No, no, because that was one of the things I started asking questions on because once a, after about like the 7th or 8th time I tried to do the 2-hour playtest and realized like okay guys, I'm spending a lot of time and money on this. We need to figure out what's happening. Like you guys need to come and monitor the game while I'm playing it. Oh, yeah. Really, that should be, like, you find it once, and they try to fix it, and if it fails again, you'd be like, okay, no, we have to do monitoring. Yeah, because that's that's how it was found, when they finally just said, like, all right, you play, we monitor, and then they found it, first time, so. (laughs) Man, how many times did you have to play through it before that step was reached? Like I said, it was seven or eight, 
Oh, but Jesus. they were they were so confident every time that they found the issue. Um, yeah, engineers say that a lot. You know why? <laughs> yeah, I know why. Because they actually did fix something. <laughs> yeah, they fixed something. <laughs> it just didn't affect what you were looking at. Yeah. But... So and and that's the thing. There's bugs everywhere in mm. all of the software because this stuff is so complicated. Yeah. So they'll find a problem and fix it and be like, hey, here it goes. That should do it. And nope. Yeah. You show me a piece of bug-free software and I'll show you a liar. Yeah. But anyway, so that was that's my, my story of like the, the two-hour playtest that continuously failed at one hour and 56 minutes. Because once the game once you get game over, then then the that's when the resets. program would like clear the memory and everything, yeah. and then you could start a new new gameplay and it wouldn't matter. But it was the limit was two hours, and the reason they picked two hours is because it was determined that two hours was so hard that it, they wouldn't need to go beyond that in, in a given person's play setting. And, and I get you know, it; it was hard. Yeah. But I'm 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 I am the best player at this game in the entire world. So. <laughs> It's it's a true statement because this was my job at the time. (laughs) So I'm going to find a way to go beyond two hours, and I'm not going to do it via mods. I'm going to actually find a way to do it, and that's that's Mm -hmm. how I found it because I actually play tested the game for two hours instead of you know letting it run Uh, for two hours. A shining example of QA game skill, and also a reason why when it comes to difficulty balance, you should not listen to QA. Yeah, because that's what that's what went wrong with the first uh, uh, Rogue Squadron game. Because they on the N sixty four they listened too much to QA. You said make it harder, make it harder, and that became a very difficult game. Yeah, no, I I I went through some of the same issues on that. Where I, I when I did all my playtests, I did it on the hardest mode, which was uh in, in, like I think it was called Extinction Event or something like that. Like it was supposed to be impossible, and yeah, I I did all of my <laughs> long term playtests. Using that. Uh, all right. So that's a that was a fun story, and uh, I think that'll be it for us today. Uh, thank you, Greg, for joining us today. No problem. Review scores are dumb, and they don't matter. <laughs> thank you for that parting word of wisdom that I'm sure we've never heard before. Yeah. So if uh, there's anything anyone out there would like to hear me talk about on Behind the Line Radio or write about in a article, uh, you can always hit me up at kinetic at enthusiax.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiax.com. And join us, meet, join me again next week for the next Behind the Line article, and in two weeks for the next Behind the Line radio. See you next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs.